I remember I was sitting and I was having this accountability meeting with a guy and we were talking and this other guy comes in and he's somebody that had asked for help before and everything. And, you know, I mean, he obviously had a drug problem. He wasn't hiding the fact that he liked drugs and, um, but he comes in and, and he says, Oh, you know, I've got a need and all this. And, and cause he knows I'm a pastor and, and his expectation is that I'm going to give him some money from the church, you know, the general fund, mm-hmm. uh, whatever set aside for benevolence. And in his mind, he's thinking, you know, this money's just laying there, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like it might as well go to me. It's going to go to somebody else. Um, but I didn't have access to any funds from the church. It's just not the way our church was organized. Um, and so I said, man, I, you know, I don't really have anything. And I looked at my wallet and, and I turned to the other guys like, do you got anything? And, and he's like, yeah, I got it. You know, and he pulls like $40 out of his wallet. And the guy's like, Hey, I, I don't want your money. Hmm. But you can see that that just, that bothered struck him? a nerve. Yeah. And, and it just graded against what, you know, what his justifications were prepared to accept. There's something vastly different. He was much more comfortable sort of preying upon the organization yes. than upon an individual face-to-face with right. him. Right. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. I'm Kent. And I am Nathan. All right. And we're here to talk about Simple Church. Nathan, you have been with some other people starting a simple church here recently, just yes. just getting started, and um, you're calling it a simple church, not a house church. Uh, it's not a traditional church. It's not a house church. It's a simple church. Yeah. Uh, and you wrote something that we're going to uh, read in part to discuss today as to give us material uh, for the podcast discussion. We think the podcast discussion could be a resource for people uh, in the church, outside the church, the simple church. Um so, you know, maybe do you want to start with with the story, the background as to why this document about Simple sure. Church? Yeah. Good idea. I will. I, so I always dreamed of being in ministry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for 14 years, that, that dream was kind of frustrated, I guess. There was lots of things. Long story. Won't go into it. Um, but when I finally got the chance, I remember the first day that I... Um, was full-time um, and it, the beads of sweat were breaking out on my brow. Okay. <laughs> stressful like, day. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, I don't even know if anything really stressful had happened. I, it was before anything had happened. It was like this, this weight that had landed on my shoulders and I was just, you know, it wasn't even a big deal. Leadership, top leadership was great. They weren't trying to pressure me they didn't you know lay a bunch of demands on me or anything i couldn't really pinpoint it um but that and that heaviness would come and go um but it it would always come back and one day after about oh i don't know 18 months or so in this role i i remember being this at the prayer room we had a in in our offices we had a separate room that was set aside to pray and I was in there and I was just asking God, it's like, why is this so heavy? Cause it's because it wouldn't leave. You know, I would pray and it would come back and it seems like it was just inherently heavy. And, um, there probably could be all kinds of reasons why something like that would be the case. Reasons that would relate to my own issues and stuff like that. Um, again, I don't think it was 
the church or the ministry or anything external. And so, which I guess occasioned the question, I probably would have known why if those other things were the case. Um, but I, and I felt like, you know, sometimes you just hear a thought will pop up, but it's just so out of the blue and clear. You think maybe this is the spirit, maybe this is God speaking. And, um, and so it just said it's consumerism. And, and I knew that I've, I've always struggled with that idea of consumerism in the church and the competition between congregations. It seems like that exists. Church is trying to attract people in a consumeristic way, like come here, we have great facilities. Come here, right. we have great children's programs. We have we have goods and services we're offering you. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so we have to compete in a marketplace for Christians. And I, I know that's a cynical view. And I, I don't want to just assume that that's true in every case. Um, I do think there is a phenomenon that's been going on for quite some time in America that's very similar to what we see with in retail with big box stores. You know, Walmart moves into town and the downtown area dies. You know, little businesses uh, with fewer offerings and less power to command the market can't compete and they die. You see and that in churches. I see that happening in church. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and the church I was a part of, I think, was successful in the market, we could say. Um, and it, that's not to say that those churches don't also reach the unreached or people who otherwise wouldn't go to a stodgy traditional church. Mm-hmm. What they would perceive as something that would be stodgy. Um, and so they, I guess there's good that's done. At any rate, for, for me, um, that reminder i guess that it was consumerism wasn't super surprising or and i didn't really think well yeah this is absolutely god except that i just asked and some answer seemed to come back but it could just as easily have been my mind um but i pressed in and i said you know what can be done about it because in america for me it seems like um that's just a given you know, even though it's not something great, um, and a lot of people would maybe agree that this tendency in America is, is uh, not well aligned with the New Testament picture of church as we see it. It doesn't seem to um, rise to the mark of, of real gospel ministry. Uh, it seems to require a lot of resources to keep going, and those resources are inwardly focused as far as the church is concerned. So those are things that I think everybody can agree are probably less than optimal about the model. But at the same time, how do you escape it when that's becomes the given in the culture? How do you even do a church? And so I was just kind of trying to ask this voice, I guess, and, you know, and, and uh, try to find out what, what was at the root of consumerism. And uh, an answer came back again that said, uh, it's the general fund. And I saw just a picture in my mind of somebody filling out a a contribution check to a church. It's back when people used to write checks. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I really kind of, I felt like I heard that when you write a check to something, you give it life. And living things want to survive. And what 
that really surprised me. I, I just didn't even see that coming. And it uh, began to to dismantle what my concept of church is. Um, I, I realized that it was probably the case that consumerism isn't a problem in and of itself. Uh, the real issue is one of institutional survival. And if you have a bunch of institutions and, and all of them want to survive at the same time. They're going to compete. Right. In a limited marketplace, they're going to compete. And that competition is going to create ever larger programs, you know, that there will be whole disciplines devoted to, you know, we wouldn't say it that way, but winning in the market, we might call it a church growth strategy or something. But, um, yeah, the, the concern for the members as consumers, um, becomes the drive. What, you know, whatever else we've written on our letterhead. So we want to evangelize the world or whatever, give glory to God and everything. But all of that has to be subordinate to survive. Keeping these people here and attracting more. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and we, we begin to, to say, Hey, you know, we're doing a lot of good here. Yes. This bad thing happened. And yes, we're going to have to do bad thing B to cover bad thing a, but it's because the church scandals of we've been reading about in the news thing X, Y, and Z that we're doing. And we have to maintain those. And so we have a fiduciary responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and all of that, it sounds, you know, obviously way too familiar, but the root of it is this, this sense that our institution is the agent of God's work in the world. And, um, that becomes the given that I think is the beginning of the end for church as expression, corporate expression of the gospel message. So I'm just, you know, I, back to my little story, I guess I, I pressed in and I said, is that even possible? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you even begin to do church without a general fund? And by general fund, I mean, um, wrote undesignated giving. Give to the institution. The institution right. will determine how to spend the money. Right. Yeah. So that, and you know, the leaders or whatever. So we're giving generally. So every, every week people go to church and they think they're going to put X amount in the plate and they write the check to the church itself. Mm-hmm. And then the leaders of that church make the decisions on what's going to be done with the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, maybe they've pre-decided, they've said something very general, like we want to invest in the nations. And so we have an emphasis toward missions. Um, and they said that very generally. And then you put a hundred dollars in the plate because you believe in missions. But the thing is, is that that church, by virtue of the fact that it is an institution has to survive hundred percent of that hundred dollars is not going to missions at best 10 percent yeah right. typically right which would be a massive sacrifice for most yeah. churches right most churches would not even be able to do that uh-huh. but what they would do what they would do is they would hire somebody who would be in charge of their mission emphasis and this person would make an upper middle income and um they would get volunteers involved in other fundraising efforts and stuff like that so that 
they would say, yes, we have an emphasis on missions. No, we're not spending a lot of money on it out of our general fund, but we are encouraging people to spend even more money uh, toward missions um, outside of that uh-huh. gift. Uh-huh. So the the money that you put in the plate is very much just for the institution itself. And um, most of that goes to help that institution survive. Right. At pay, the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Pay the lease, the mortgage, pay the the staff, make the worship service happen, the children's ministry happen, right. and so on and so forth. <clears throat> right. And so a lot of that comes down to 90 minutes once a week. <laughs> sure. You know, so yeah. if you're going to do a heat map on or whatever on how this money is spent, mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, the vast majority is on that. And, and that, so that just seemed like not great use of funds, but it's it was an assumed um but for me, I, I, I just started to see this picture of a church that could be just just choosing by choosing not to have a general fund, by allowing for <clears throat> ad hoc specific giving as opposed to just a rote collection every week, um, that it would free up, number one, it would retain, um, the agency for people's money in the hands of the people who had it, you know, and the people who'd earned it and that they get to make the choice as to where it goes every time they let go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of times it's taught that this is an opportunity for you to trust God. You give to the church and you trust God with what the church is going to do. I, I can remember that argument in church. Seems like Maybe I made that argument or someone around me made that yeah. argument, you know? Yeah. Um, it, uh, but you're arguing that actually it's going to be uh, better. Uh, let's see. The individual who gives the money is a better steward or is what's, – what's the argument there? Like why not just trust the church to do what the church will do with the, the, the donation? Sure, yeah. I think it becomes about power dynamics. Okay. If I spend your money – who has the power? Right. You you do. Right. <laughs> if I decide where your money goes, you know, I, I think that, yes, trust God. Trust God with what he's going to give you. Give beyond uh, what you can afford. Trust God. But that needs to be your choice. Um, you don't need to respond to my charisma, my ability to cast vision, you know, and, and that's when it becomes, I think, uh, manipulative. I think it's dangerous for the uh, the church leaders because now we begin to rise above um, just our human limitations and we begin to command something. Um, if you could, you know, if you imagine that we've created almost like this vehicle that makes us, we have a tiny helm and a, a huge... Um, imprint that we leave because we are at the head of a 10,000 person organization. And now that person by default, whoever is the top leader, especially if you have a very, you know, um, triangular leading, leading leadership structure, you know, very top down that person, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, aspires to godhood in some way, whether they know it or not. That um, and 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 the narrative begins to be about what you know, New Point Church is doing. 
And we celebrate that, you know, we get together at New Point Church. We're happy to have you here. We're changing hearts and minds throughout this area and around the world. Here's an instance of how we're doing it. And, and so New Point Church becomes the agent of God's work, not you, not me, not prayer, not God. But this organization, it's um, momentum, you know, the traction, <laughs> all these kinds of words that we use. Um, these these leadership dynamics become the um, the engine that seemingly and supposedly is driving the fulfillment of God's will in the world. So New Point Church is meeting needs and changing lives, uh, and it's doing so with your donations, as opposed to I see a need. And I just give directly to the need and I meet the need. Right. Instead, I give to the church and the church finds the needs and decides what's important and make and changes lives. Right. Um, and yeah. I think you're trying to say it's, it's better for me to meet needs directly than for me to meet needs through or by means of this larger organization. Right. Yeah. Better for all parties involved, healthier. Right. Yes. Well, and it's essential to the gospel. Remember, uh, the gospel message and salvation really is freedom. Um, and freedom has to include the right uh, rights over my property or it's not freedom at all. You know, um, if we said, okay, property rights are out and um, everything that you make and your work and everything is just going to the central government. Other than that, you're free to do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, does that, is that person going to be free ever? You know, um, you have to have a certain amount of resources and final decision, final control over those resources or you're not free. Um, and so when someone says, you know, you're free, by the way, you owe me this and I'll put you in jail. If you don't give it to me or whatever, then you're not free. That's just, that's just what they're telling you. So you'll, you know, not cause problems. And so be realistic about that. But when it comes to church, if I tell you, hey, God's not going to bless you. He's not going to help you unless you give me X amount of dollars every week. And then I'll take that and I'll decide what to do with it. Um, then I, I now have agency over your income, at least a percentage of it. And to me, that that creates this, um, this dynamic, this structure that opposes the gospel. Because the gospel is... The miracle, I think, of the gospel, the way the gospel is expressed in this world is through this tightly held association of radically free individuals. You know, um, the reason that we have a general fund is because the work needs to get done. And um, the general fund assumes that the individuals in the organization will not get the work done unless we find ways to circumvent their will. They're, you know, case by case choice um, because it's just not going to get done. And so the, we create, we retain something like tithing from the Old Testament. But remember the law, the law presumed unfaith, unbelief. Paul says, mm -hmm. you know, he, he says, but what if some didn't believe? You know, he's like, why is the law there? Right. And the law is there because you don't have to believe. You know, to give 10%. I mean, that's just, you're just being taxed, that. Um, it's not, it doesn't count as generosity. And so, 
I, I think that the now looking back that the major concern is for the end of the freedom of the individual. Um, if I'm just giving by rote 10% of my income because I either, I want God to bless me or I don't want people to know that I'm, you know, miserly or whatever, you know, I want to salve my guilt or, um, anything. And I do that by rote. Um, I'm really not becoming more generous. I'm just becoming more religious and, I don't think it's healthy or helpful to that person. Um, and they are, that person is deprived of encountering the need of the person is somebody else. You know, <laughs> if, if I have to give to a person, you know, some funds that there's something that happens in that interaction that doesn't happen if they come to the church office and, um, sell the secretary on a sob story. And she has, X amount that's already set aside for benevolence. And, you know, she's only spent 50% of it this week and it's Friday afternoon and, um, somebody comes and they say, you know, I'm from out of town and, um, you know, I came here because my cousin said I was going to have work and it didn't work out. You know, they, they have mm -hmm. a story that they tell and, um, the secretary may not believe it, but honestly, it doesn't matter. There's X amount left in the benevolent fund. Just get them out of your office. Here you go. It's not your money. Might as well, you know, mm -hmm. and so all the generosity is stripped from that transaction and the gratitude as well. What the generosity I, is stripped because it wasn't her money. Right. And the gratitude because they're not taking from an individual. Mm, okay. Uh, I remember I was sitting and I was having this accountability meeting with a guy and we were talking and this other guy comes in and he's somebody that had asked for help before and everything. And, you know, I mean, he obviously had a drug problem. He wasn't hiding the fact that he liked drugs. And, um, but he comes in and, and he says, oh, you know, I've got a need and all this. And, and cause he knows I'm a pastor and, and his expectation is that I'm going to give him some money from the church, you know, the general fund, mm -hmm. uh, whatever set aside for benevolence. And in his mind, he's thinking, you know, this money's just laying there, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like it might as well go to me. It's going to go to somebody else. Um, but I didn't have access to any funds from the church. It's just not the way our church was organized. Um, and so I said, man, I, you know, I don't really have anything. And I looked at my wallet and, and I turned to the other guys like, do you got anything? And, and he's like, yeah, I got it. You know, and he pulls like $40 out of his wallet. And the guy's like, Hey, I, I don't want your money. Hmm. You can see that that just, that bothered struck him. a nerve. Yeah. And, and it just graded against what, you know, what his justifications were prepared to accept. There's something vastly different. He was much more comfortable sort of preying upon the organization yes. than upon an individual face-to-face -face with right. him. Right. And it just shows that that's the, that's the difference. So it seemed that early on and throughout the story of Scripture in the New Testament, we see that, yeah, there was giving, but it was never giving to the church. Like Paul took a collection for this, the, the, the poor uh, Christians in Jerusalem. Right. So that was a very specific need that people were meeting through him. He was, he was, he was, he represented them to the Christians in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. He delivered it, but they, they gave directly in other words, otherwise they were giving directly to the Christians in Jerusalem. He just mediated because there was a geographical distance gap. Right. Right. And because the need was so great that, 
it would have taken a couple of maybe a year or something to collect enough um you know so yes logistically getting it directly over there they couldn't wire it straight over um, but also in terms of just the um, amount that was needed there were obviously at that time more christians in jerusalem since that's where it started and so these other little churches throughout the world maybe they were 100 people strong and there was a few thousand believers in jerusalem so just in terms of numbers being able to, to send them significant aid would have taken some time uh, to collect and so there was that that dynamic as well but we take that that was very clearly an ad hoc fundraising effort to a very specific end and we turn that into a precedent for unspecified giving by rote every Sunday um, and that doesn't seem to be the case you know I think about in the first century and you know, the believers are selling everything they have and they're giving it to people in need or whatever. They're selling property and stuff. And that seems to have gone through the hands of the apostles. But you get to, you know, Acts chapter 3 and Peter goes up to the beautiful gate and there's a beggar there. You know, mm-hmm. and he's lame in his feet or whatever. And um, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. Mm-hmm. Don't have access <laughs> to the general fund. Right, right. Is yeah. how you take that. Well, it just seems to be the reality that, you know, in, in chapter two, it, it doesn't specifically say that they gave it to the elders to, ex, to, you know, to be the executors of, but it says they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Mm-hmm. Later, we see that they would, they brought it to the apostles feet to be distributed. Um, so that seems to be the way it was handled. But when Peter comes up and, and here's an external benevolent need, there's somebody who has a need, someone who's, you know, asking for help. Mm-hmm. And Peter says, well, I just don't have it, man. Mm-hmm. You know? I personally don't have it or and or there isn't a general fund I can dip into here. Right, right. And so, I mean, the way we would do it is we would, you know, write him a check. And then we talk about all the people that were helping out there at the temple, you know, mm-hmm. and then you feel good because you are part of that by extension. Now truth of the funds is maybe 25 cents of your hundred dollars went to that person you know but you feel good you feel like you did something mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. now if you're walking by them and you you know flicked a quarter at them you probably wouldn't feel good mm-hmm. but because you're part of this organization that's doing all this mm-hmm. good now you get the the feeling that you're you know some sort of satisfaction about it but it really didn't come through any kind of generosity and it didn't incite any kind of gratitude mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what, what about the previous passages that you referenced where the people are selling uh, properties and they're giving they're meeting needs with those but there also seems to be a mediator in a sense that there did you referenced a verse where it says they laid it at the apostles feet yeah mm-hmm. yeah so how is that not the general fund because it is going specifically to the needs of their you know brothers and sisters who are there uh-huh. so it's being turned into food and then that food is being given to the people so uh-huh. it's they're giving toward a very toward a specific end uh-huh. they've chosen to what they would give now the fact that it's going through someone's hands mm-hmm. as and and this is the this notion of a minister right uh-huh. you know this is somebody who's just taking resources from a and and moving them to b but there's not there's not this um executive power uh-huh. that is a part of that transaction you know if i say to you hey you know well Sunday, there's somebody, we were having our meeting and 
you know, it, it's um, people who have, you know, whose lives are kind of wrecked, I guess. If they see several cars at a church, that's generally when they, they come by. And um, so she came by for something and she had kind of got the attention of one of the people that were in the meeting and she was kind of keeping all of her attention, um, talking to her, you know, giving her her story and everything. And you could tell that person just felt like she couldn't get away, but, you know, and rejoin the meeting, but at the same time, you know, because she felt for that person. So I'm usually reluctant to give in that case because I, I know that it, oftentimes um, it just kind of perpetuates a very unhealthy cycle in the person's life as mm-hmm. they need. At the same time, more recently, I'm like, you know, just give it to them. It's their choice, you know. Um, so just raised my pocket, had some money. I, I give it to a, a young, you know, a, a girl that's sitting to my left because I'm like facilitating the meeting. I can't leave. And I say, you know, would you just take this and give it to that person, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. she gets up and she goes over and gives it. Now, <clears throat> at what point, you know, who, who was deciding what to do with the money? You decided. Right. All <laughs> right. You know, but now, you, you delivered it through your agent. Right. Yeah. Now your she minister, gone, your representative taking half of it, put it in her pocket. The other half gave it to the person. She decided. Know, right. She decided. There's a problem, right? <laughs> uh, or she decided she was going to give one to a friend and one to, you know, um, then that's, that's a malfeasance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about. If, if, you know, if the apostles come and they say, Hey, you know, a lot of your, a lot of the people here are from out of town and they don't have any resources. They brought only so much for this trip to Pentecost and now they are, they're running out. They're going without. Some of you live here. Some of you own property here. You know, if you want to help your brothers and sisters, we would invite you to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's say that they did that. I don't know that they did. It seems almost that it was spontaneous. You know, they just realized there was a need and they're like, mm-hmm. what can I do? Mm-hmm. But um, either way, you know, so some people, they say, I'm going to sell this. You know, I've got this field. It's, you know, it's been in my family forever, but, you know, my brother's more important. Mm-hmm. Then this field, so I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give this amount of money, and um, because the need is is vast, there's, you know, thirty families right now that I can think of that need it, um, and I don't have personal contact with all of them. It'd be good to have a point of contact where they could come and and receive it. Mm-hmm. So you can give it to a trusted agent. You can say, hey, would you just give this to those people? Mm-hmm. And I've retained the agency throughout that mm-hmm. transaction. Um, and so that's kind of what I would say was the case. Um, in Acts chapter four, you know, we see that this giving is being done and that people are selling what they have and, and bringing what they have to um, the apostles. He says that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who own lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Okay, so that's where that happened. Now, Ananias and Sapphira say, man, people are really getting some street cred for doing this. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of it. I want some street cred. And so they they sold some mm-hmm. and they kept some back. But they said they didn't. They said they gave it all? Right. And so... When, when they do that, they, they you know, and, and Peter asked, uh, well, he goes to Ananias. He knows what's happened. Uh, Peter knows what Ananias has done. And he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? 
Here's what's important in this, I think, in this context is he says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea that people were liquidating assets and trying to really levelize the condition of all the people in the community, that isn't communism. It isn't you have land and I don't, therefore half your land belongs to me. You know, he very clearly says it was your land. Mm -hmm. Nobody made you sell it. You didn't have to sell it. You could have retained it. Okay. That's just, I think it's critical if there's going to be generosity. Uh, and, and then, and he says, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like 10% didn't belong to Peter. Right. You know, it was, it, it, it belonged to Ananias to do with what he right, chose. Right. He could have said, you know, Hey, I sold this field just made sense right now. Here's half the money. Mm-hmm. That would have been perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what. And, and so at any rate, without a general fund, what do we do? Uh, what I would say is, is that you could have a church and what appeared to me, what occurred to me really. And I, during this time was a vision of, of churches that were um, what you couldn't do is have a big mega church. Chances are, unless you just had a real benefactor, basically an individual or a few individuals who wanted to pay for a meeting place could mm-hmm. if they didn't you would just meet in a smaller place <laughs> you know but the choice to not have a general fund would dictate a lot about how the church is operated that simple choice would have a, would have an impact on how large your um, congregation could be on the types of ministry that you could offer um, but I think it doesn't mean you couldn't have people who are in vocational ministry. It would just mean that they would have to count on God and the generosity of God's people. Uh, I think you could have leadership. You could have people who are designated as the elders or whatever you want to call them. And that those people, much like the apostles did in the first century, would have kind of a gatekeeper role of just saying, you know, this is a legitimate need. That's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, helping to vet things because if you have a group of people and it becomes known that they give you money, you know, people start to prey on them. Um, there are a lot of people who want to be in ministry who shouldn't be. Um, I think that having a, a mature group of leaders to say, yeah, we see that you have a passion for this, but we don't know that you have a calling yet. And we really want you to press into this and develop and pray and be prayed for, you know, uh, or conversely, yes, we, we, we sense that God is calling to you, you to this, that this is something that you're gifted and called to do. And um, we want to lay hands on you and, and just, you know, give you our endorsement and commit you to the grace of God to do this in front of the body. You know, if they want to give that, you know, they need to say that they're giving toward your support. We will, you know, give you what they do and we'll write the check out of the church, you know, on with the church's name, but, um, it will be designated to you and we will pass it straight through, you know, um, that kind of a thing so that if someone needed a tax advantage or something, they could still receive it, but they don't have to, um, turn over their agency to a group. So that's, that's and generally, and you're describing leaders, pastors, elders, many of whom, most of whom would be in, in this scenario, uh, uh, 
bivocational, they would be they would have jobs in most cases. You're describing yeah. a situation where maybe there is a paid pastor, someone who is uh, devoted entirely uh, vocationally to the work of ministry, but they're not getting paid from a general fund. They're getting paid by people they raised support from or right. some individual who's paying their way. Yeah. Because in other, and so the same principle holds true where people are directly giving to this person's salary mm-hmm. because they believe in this person. They believe right. God's called them. Right, yeah. And it, it would say, hey, if you want to go in ministry, you're going to have to trust God for your living, you know, ultimately. And um, so that there's not an amount that's promised to them or whatever. And I know that that seems like maybe it's regressive and difficult. And I I know it would be a challenge for me and for my family. But um, it also presumes a level of faith in the person. If they're going to go into full-time ministry, maybe they should have that much faith, you mm-hmm. know. Um so it does kind of raise the bar um, in terms of who are vocational ministers. Um, they have to have a level of trust and hopefully not just resorting to things like, you know, praying on the church, but they've been, you know, they've been vetted and they're in a culture where generosity is assumed and giving is assumed, um, but also agency is assumed. Um, and you're not just, giving because you feel pressured or you like this person and you want them to keep being your friend, you know, but you really listen into the Holy spirit. So, yeah. Can you imagine a situation where the church would raise the money? The church would say, uh, we want to raise the money for pastor Nathan's salary for the coming year. And yeah. the, and the church gives specifically for that purpose. The members of the church gives specifically for that purpose. Yeah. And then the leaders of the church or the organization hands it out to Nathan weekly or monthly sure. over the coming year. Yeah. Is that, 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 that would be, that was, that would still fulfill the vision yeah. that you're describing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it was ideal in that it was, it would give people general, you know, the opportunity to be generous, but it does, it does kind of lengthen the distance between giving and receiving, you know? And so it does, it does a little bit of, of, of a detraction, you know, as opposed to being able to give specifically to somebody, you know, like if, if you have some of this in full-time ministry and, um, you know, they're making it work and they're praying and God's supporting them. And sometimes they have an opportunity to do a little side work and that's okay. And, um, maybe their car breaks down and people find out about it. You know, um, one of the gifts that we can give the church is our need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having those opportunities to, you know, if, if you're in leadership and you really want to bless the church, you know, setting yourself up to have some ad hoc needs here and there might not be a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. You know, where somebody, maybe they're committed to give you a couple of hundred dollars a month, but they know that you're not getting rich and they find out, you know, your car broke down and they have an opportunity to give you a car. I mean, what a, what an offering, what a blessing, what a gift, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I think would be ideal, but certainly any of it can be done so long as people are just retaining their agency. I just think that's a part of this, this freedom that's under the gospel. It's, it's standing up for this God's vision of a society made up of entirely free people. So when we create an institution, I think we, we begin to tip into the world's way of doing things because you can create a nonprofit to do lots of things and, you know, collect, from donors and they give to that entity, but you know, you have executive power over what happens and, and you get things done that way. 
you know, we, we create something that's not a, it's not a human and it's not God. It's something else. Um, if it were a world empire, I would, you know, the, the prophets would call it a beast. And I don't think that's far off. We talk about how we talk about these organizations and we bemoan sometimes this, the, the organize the, 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 these institutions we create and we say we've created a beast and now we have to feed it. Yes. And that's, I think that's what we do. And, and, you know, anybody that's really been in a very large church <clears throat> realizes there are times when even faithful leaders have to get really pragmatic because the beast is hungry <laughs> it, it is to yeah. be fed. Yeah, and it grows. So not only is it hungry, but every time you feed it, it, it gets hungrier. Um, so it's, it's progressive in that way until you get to something. You know, uh, all these church scandals more recently with Mark Driscoll and others have been about power dynamics and control and abuse of, um, of power more than they've been about, say, sexual immorality. Um, but I think that what you see is just the full extent, the exaggerated form of what was there all the time and is there in every organization. Um, and Unhealthy so, power dynamics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Top-down power. Well, that just is one point. We talked about the general fund today and consumerism. Yes. Uh, giving, uh, uh, mediated versus unmediated giving, uh, and, and true generosity. So we'll get into some other points in the coming episodes. Uh, but if anyone's got any questions, they can always email us to discussion at recoverfaith.org. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.